praying before a meal is often one of the first prayers we teach our children and a prayer habit that's easy to maintain because we know the purpose. We either say bless the food or give thanks for the food. Church prayers can also be that specific. We have our weekly and monthly prayer guide that we ask all of our members to pray. Six days a week we pray these prayers either as written or as a springboard for deeper prayer. We're going to spend six weeks going over what makes each of those prayer topics important. This series for us will finish on Pentecost Sunday when we will engage in purposeful prayer with the whole Wesleyan denomination that we will be together, filled and sent, which aligns with how Jesus' disciples prayed together as they awaited the giving of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is the first topic in our weekly prayer schedule. That's where we will begin today. Let's read what Jesus said about the work of the Holy Spirit in John 15, 26 through 27 and 16, 7 through 14. John 15, 26 through 27. When the Counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You will also testify because you have been with me from the beginning. John 16, 7-14 Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the Counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, and you will no longer see me. And about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. The first thing I want us to see about the Holy Spirit is, one, the Holy Spirit works repeatedly. By repeatedly, I mean the Holy Spirit never stops working. We're going to take some time to break down the work that Jesus ascribes to the Holy Spirit. This is not going to be a complete lesson on all the work of the Holy Spirit, but just the work Jesus brings up in John 15 and John 16. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the Counselor, or sometimes it's translated Helper. I think Counselor, in the legal sense, is a good way for us to understand this title. In an ideal situation, a lawyer is supposed to come alongside someone to speak and reveal the truth. Thus, Jesus also calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Truth. The truth the Holy Spirit speaks is the truth about Jesus. This truth is spoken internally to the spirit or conscience or our minds or hearts of people. It's that nonverbal nudging that I get internally that I may confuse for my own instincts, intuition, gut feeling, or conscience. But the Holy Spirit may speak to me beyond my own instinctual ability. It may be one of those moments when I think, this morality or proposition seems true and this other one seems false, but I can't necessarily tell you why I feel that way. We'll see later that why we can't always trust our own human consciences, but the Holy Spirit speaking the truth of Jesus to a person is a supernaturally granted understanding. 
The Holy Spirit also speaks truth in external ways. Jesus says the disciples will also testify about him. They will do the same work as the Holy Spirit, only using their speech to the ears of people and writing to the eyes and ears of people to engage the minds of people with the truth of Jesus. The disciples have this ability because the Holy Spirit guides them into all truth. This doesn't mean the disciples become all-knowing, but that they will be guided into the full truth of who Jesus is, what he accomplished, and what that means for every person. Jesus also lists three specific ways the Holy Spirit will testify the truth of Jesus to the world, or everyone who is not a disciple. The Holy Spirit will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Regarding sin, because the world does not believe in Jesus, which means their disobedience is not forgiven. Regarding righteousness, because Jesus has been proven to be the righteous one of God the Father. Regarding judgment, because the current ruler of, the, of this world, the serpent from Genesis 3, who the Bible also calls the devil, will not continue to rule, but will also be judged for his disobedience. These three works of the Holy Spirit, testifying to the truth of Jesus, revealing the truth of Jesus, and convicting the world about the truth of Jesus, notice they're all about Jesus. So it can be said that the work of the Holy Spirit is to give glory to Jesus just as it was the work of Jesus to give glory to the God the Father. Jesus is saying this to his disciples before the Holy Spirit has come. But when the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit will do these things. Jesus places no conditions upon the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will, and now does, glorify Jesus through testifying, revealing, and conviction about the truth of Jesus. This made me think of the thermostat in my house. The thermostat is always working. The fan, furnace, or air conditioning may or may not be running, but the thermostat is still working. And none of those other components would work without the thermostat constantly taking the temperature of the house and then triggering the correct response to temperature changes. In the same way, these are works that the Holy Spirit does regardless of what I do, even my prayers. But when I do pray for the Holy Spirit to work, I pray with confidence because God is already working. Regardless of how I may word some of the specifics of my prayer, which I direct to God the Father, I'm not changing God's mind or actions because, as I said, the Holy Spirit is already working. I pray to change the mind and actions of people, myself, other disciples, and the world. Uh, that we change our minds in response to the Holy Spirit who repeatedly gives glory to Jesus. This may be difficult to understand or accept because we too easily confuse prayers to false gods with prayers to the one true God. Prayers to false gods are me trying to force or coax a spiritual being to do what I want. Prayer to the one true God is me trying to align myself and others with what God wants and is already doing. The reason why we pray that people align with the work of the Holy Spirit is our second point. People resist the Holy Spirit. Let's go back to the thermostat example for a moment. In the winter, my thermostat called for heat, but my furnace wasn't staying on. The reason for the malfunction was that the air filter needed replacing. The dirt in the filter created too much resistance for airflow. Without proper airflow, the furnace would get too hot and shut down. 
I think that's a good illustration for people and the Holy Spirit, since the Holy Spirit is also pictured as breath or wind. People are sometimes wind blockers. People who are not followers of Jesus resist the Holy Spirit. In Acts 7.51, Stephen preaches to the people that, who are about to stone him to death. And he says this, You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you were always resisting the Holy Spirit. As your ancestors did, you do also. When people fight against the truth of God, they are resisting the work of the Holy Spirit. Recall that the work of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus. Romans one twenty one tells us the results of humans not wanting to glorify God. It says, For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. The more resistant people are at glorifying God, the more resistant they become to the work of the Holy Spirit to reveal truth to them. It's similar to what we read in Exodus about Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his own heart and God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. But it's not just people who do not follow Jesus that resist the Holy Spirit. People who are followers of Jesus, or at least claim to be followers of Jesus, need to also guard against resisting the Holy Spirit. In 1 Thessalonians 5.19, Paul writes to Christians. He says, don't stifle or quench the Holy Spirit. This means when I, as a disciple, see the Holy Spirit doing a work, I need to not be a blocker. I don't pour water on the fire of the Holy Spirit. Paul also writes in 1 Timothy 4, um, and it says this, oh, 1, 1 and 2. Now the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. Through the hypocrisy of liars, Whose, consciousness, whose consciences are seared. This is why I said previously that people in general or societies cannot always trust our own consciences for truth. It's the same principle as described in Romans one twenty one about hearts becoming darkened, only this time Paul uses the illustration of a conscience being burned. When living tissue is burned severely, it loses its feeling. In the same way, a seared conscience, seared through personal sin or false teachings, cannot on its own detect truth. This is why we cannot let our hearts get hardened or embittered. That's why we need the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Let's imagine Philip in Acts 8 being resistant to the Holy Spirit instead of moving with the work of the Holy Spirit. Acts 8.26 An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, Get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, that is, the desert road. And then our imaginary resistant Philip. Man, the desert... I don't really want to go to the desert. It's hot there. I don't have any water. A lot of people get robbed on that road. Then Acts 8.29, the spirit told Philip, go down and join that chariot, our imaginary resistant Philip. I don't even know that black guy. I mean, I've got black friends, but... And look at how he's dressed, all fancy and rich. I've got the wrong clothes on. He's not going to listen to me. Acts 8. Uh, 39 through 40. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip appeared in Azotus and was traveling and preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Resistant Philip. Hey, I've already been from Jerusalem to Samaria, from Samaria to the Gaza Road. I just need a break. And there's nobody here to disciple this Ethiopian. 
But Philip wasn't resistant. Because he wasn't resistant, individuals, ethnicities, whole cities, and whole nations received the truth about Jesus. Philip was moved by the Holy Spirit to places that the apostles hadn't even considered going. We need to realize the world, our societies, are by default resistant to the Holy Spirit and do not want to give glory to God. That's why we are called to not be like the world. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Galatians 5 calls this keeping in step with the Spirit. When I am in step with the Holy Spirit, I will often find myself counter to my culture, which is of the world. This is why our culture is hostile when we, speaking the truth in love, say, God has an absolute truth on human sexuality. God has an absolute truth on human life. God has an absolute truth on human family. God has an absolute truth on justice. God has an absolute truth on the way humans come to salvation and forgiveness. The world will be resistant, but I must testify and give glory to God. The cool thing is, it's not my opinion against someone else's opinion. It's not my truth and someone else's truth. I see the phrase all the time in our media, live your truth. People in the world seem to be fine with everyone living their own truth, which allows us to do whatever we want. Unless the truth I want to live is God's truth, then everyone gets mad and calls me intolerant. The reality is we're not comparing truth to truth. It is God's truth compared to the world's untruth. The world does not want to hear that it's living a lie. So although God can use me to speak truth in life, it is the Holy Spirit's continuing work that changes people's minds. In order for me to do this, Our third point, disciples must be ready for the Holy Spirit. In high school, sometimes I ran on the relay team, 4 by 400 meters and sometimes 4 by 100 meters. I wasn't the fastest sprinter, but I really enjoyed the baton pass, especially on the 4 by 100. In the 400 meter legs, every runner is doing a full lap. By the time the handoff comes, the runner is often tired and slowing down. The receiver of the baton often turns around, grabs a baton, and then starts running. That pass-off is incredibly slow. When runners are running 100-meter legs, the pass-off should be smooth and fast. The receiver starts running before the runner with the baton even gets to them. And when done correctly, the receiver doesn't even look back, let alone turn around, just puts their hand back and knowing that the runner will put the baton into their hand. That's being ready instead of resistant. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the disciples weren't ready. They were falling asleep. So when the time came for action, they were all unprepared. But after the resurrection, Jesus says in Luke 24:49, he says, And look, I am sending you what my Father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. Then in Acts 1:8, Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is saying, go to Jerusalem and get ready for the Holy Spirit. And that is exactly what they do. The disciples return to Jerusalem. The disciples pray. The disciples choose a new 12th apostle. And they stay together. 
Then Acts 2 tells us on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fills them. Because they are in the right place and ready, they have the opportunity to testify the truth about Jesus and give Jesus glory to a multitude of people from all over the known world. 3,000 people accept the truth of Jesus because the Holy Spirit was working in the lives of the disciples and in the lives of the people who heard them. Jesus teaches this principle of readiness in several parables, but it's very clear in Luke 12:36-38, which says, You are to be like people waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can open the door for him at once. Blessed will be those servants the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will get ready. Have them recline at the table, then come and serve them. If he comes in the middle of the night or even near dawn and finds them alert, blessed are those servants. That parable returns us to our first point. The master, in our case, is God, the Holy Spirit, who is always working. But am I ready to work? If I am, I'm blessed. That's why we pray. That's why we prepare. That's why we position ourselves in front of the doors that the Holy Spirit will open. Several of the living stones can be uh, grow us in a way that make us ready for the work of the Holy Spirit. For external action, evangelism, society, and church would apply. And for internal changing me, spiritual disciplines and transformations. Check those out online. Our psalm of the day is Psalm 4. I'll begin with that prayer and then move into our prayer for the work of the Holy Spirit. Answer me when I call God who vindicates me. You freed me from affliction. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Know that the Lord has set apart the faithful for himself. Reflect in your heart. Be still and trust in the Lord. Many are asking, who can show us anything good? So let the light of your face shine on us and through us, Lord. Mighty God, we thank you for placing your Holy Spirit in us by your covenant. We ask for the Holy Spirit's empowerment and movement for us to walk in the Spirit and to work in the lives of those we come in contact with to prepare them to receive the good news. Amen. I leave you with this blessing. May the Lord, who has never failed any of his good promises, who does not leave or forsake his own, may he turn your hearts to him to walk in his ways, and to keep his commands that he gave our fathers in the faith.